Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel you're going to find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is going to be on there. You're going to find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts all that you can follow along with and the best part is that it's completely free they're also around 10 to 20 minutes long meaning if you're short of time you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout new workouts will go live on the channel every tuesday and thursday and they're going to be accompanied by an amazing backdrop which i'm sure you're all going to enjoy so if you want to find the channel just search elliot hasoon into youtube and you'll find it very easily and please subscribe it makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Caroline Offenstein. Caroline is a holistic health and fitness coach with a pretty fascinating journey to say the very least. Overachieving has been a consistent theme of Caroline's life. It's what she knew, it's what she received validation for, and it's what she searched for in all areas of her life. However, after a few hints from the universe, she realized that there was a better way a way in which she could still achieve her goals without placing an enormous amount of pressure on herself and whilst leaning into who she truly authentically is. So in this episode, we go through Caroline's journey from CrossFit to bodybuilding and to currently pole dancing, what manifestation means and how to use it for your advantage and how to integrate your feminine and masculine energy along with so, so much more. I really, really believe you will leave this conversation more enlightened and I'll have you asking a lot of questions, which I feel is only going to lead you to both spiritual and personal growth. So without further ado, Caroline Offenstein. Caroline, how are you this morning? I am doing well, bright and early with our time difference, but I like it. I'm so glad we are able to connect in this way. Absolutely. What time is it over there? And is this your usual waking up time? Are you a late waker up or are you an early riser? Well, yeah, it's only 8 a.m., which some people are like, are you kidding me? I was up at five, but I'm definitely, I'm sure we'll get into this, but the past year or so, I've drastically taken pressure off myself to be like that super intense morning person. And now I just... Ideally, I wake up without an alarm, flow into my morning routine, start working after I have a cup of tea or something. So, so this is, this is a fun little like jolt for me waking up and getting going. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. That sounds like a beautiful way to start your day though. Without, uh, see, I, let me, yeah. Tell me your experience on starting your day without an alarm. Cause my fear is that I wouldn't get up until like 1130 AM. <laughs> like, where's the, where's the majority of the day gone? So how's that been from going from someone who sounds like they were very rigid on waking up at a certain time to now doing it intuitively. Oh yeah. I mean, I used to, back in my CrossFit days, I would coach the morning classes. So I would coach Mm. at like 5.30 AM, like be at the gym needing to be on and going, you know, but honestly it was pretty easy to transition, but I also have always had the schedule of like early to bed, semi-early to rise. 
So I'll, I like to go to sleep before 10 PM if I can. So I would never worry about like sleep until 10 AM or something because (laughs) unless I'm really sick or something terrible. So naturally, I think I just, when was it? It was probably like a year ago because we do daylight savings time Mm -hmm. in Colorado, which I am very opposed to. I think it is a terrible strategy. Yeah. It's like, who decided we can just mess with everyone's circadian rhythm, which is at like the root of your health. It's ridiculous. But I think it was a year ago when we changed our clocks and it started getting darker. And my partner and I were like, let's just try it. Let's just try like changing our alarms a half hour later. And then we just like slowly worked through it. And he even, he stays up way later than me. So he sleeps in a little bit later too, but it kind of all works out the same. It's like surprising how your body adjusts, but also we're both very fortunate that we run our own businesses so we can do that too. <laughs> that makes sense. Maybe I need to just put a little bit more trust in myself because I'm a pre 10 PM bedtime person as well, but I still feel that anxiety that I wouldn't wake up to like 10 30. I'm like, where's the rest of the day gone? And coming back to what you just said on daylight saving times, have you seen that, um, that study in the Matthew Walker's book, why we sleep? Oh my gosh. I have had that book on my list for so long and I haven't read it yet. So he discusses daylight saving times and how much of that bad idea it is. And he mentioned that when obviously the clocks go back and people miss out on an hour of their sleep, he mentions how there's like a significant percentage more people who land in the emergency room the day after, or not even emergency room, but actual fatalities and death. Like that, like a significant portion of people just due to that they lose that hour because of we're already so sleep deprived. So, uh, yeah, it's such an old fashioned thing that we're doing. If I don't know where the origin is from, I think it's something to do with the farmers or something along those lines. I yes, don't know. Yeah, if, I think it had to do with harvest schedules and such. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I completely agree. It's super outdated. And I, I when I'm around countries and in, in, I think I was in Dubai one year and they don't do it. And I was like, why would anywhere else do it? Like, it just doesn't seem to make sense anymore. But anyway, off topic and back on you and the uh, topic of the day. So I want to get to know a little bit more about you and your backstory because I found it fascinating. I just told you off there that I've been stalking you for like the past five days or so, but I'd love to hear it in your own words. So who are you and what is it that you do? Yeah. So my name is Caroline Ofenstein. A lot of people call me Coach Caroline. And these days I am calling myself a holistic health coach, but kind of where I got started growing up, I was very achievement oriented. You know, I now I have done a lot of inner child work. And one thing I've discovered is that's really how I received love was by doing and achieving and getting the straight A's and winning at the sports games and things like that. So that really like pushed my competitive edge young. And I didn't really get into fitness though. I actually studied business in college and environmental studies. And then I discovered CrossFit. So I had always played sports and such. I played rugby for like five years. That was really my sport of choice. And then started CrossFit while I was working my first corporate job out of university. And oh my God, it was like someone hooked me up to an IV of the CrossFit Kool-Aid. I was so, (laughs) I was like, paleo. Yes. Okay. What is it? I don't care. I'll do it. Like so crazy. And that was really though, like my first introduction into legit strength training. Cause otherwise Mm -hmm. I had definitely like, I didn't know how to work out when I was 18. I was doing the cardio bunny stuff. Like we didn't really strength train as rugby players, which maybe we should have. And so CrossFit, like opened up so many doors for me. And I quickly became a CrossFit level one coach. That was kind of my first experience with group fitness and personal training type work. 
Uh, and then I realized the corporate world was not for me. And I did a total 180 because I just like to push the limits of all the extremes. And mm-hmm. I decided to buy a tent and move to Colorado and become a raft guide. <laughs> so my parents were not happy about that. But in hindsight, I mean, it was totally the riskiest thing I'd ever done. Like I had some money in my savings and that was it. And mm-hmm. I, I literally had to like practice setting up my tent in my living room and stuff. Like I, I still can't believe I like where, I don't know where that bravery came from when I look at myself in hindsight, but it was like the best decision I've ever made. That's where I met my now husband. Like I ended up raft guiding for two years and just like traveling in the winters. It was awesome. But during that time, that's also when I started studying nutrition because I was now rafting, which is physically demanding during the day. I was trying to go to CrossFit either before or at night. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the raft guide diet, like when you're camping and living outside, it was like PB and J's and PBR. (laughs) It's like what I was eating. (laughs) So quickly I was like, man, I'm tired all the time. My progress in the gym totally stalled. And I was like, "I, I bet it's because of my diet. Like, I don't think I'm eating enough of the right things. So like I had mentioned, I'd done kind of paleo stuff in the past. So I had some experience with changing my diet. Um, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to know more because when I had done paleo, it was very much whole 30 style. So I would restrict myself really intensely. And then I would eat like ice cream and drink beer for a straight 48 hours after like, I didn't have there, there was no foundational education there. So I realized like, I was like, I'm not doing that again because that just made me feel terrible. So that's when I started studying nutrition I got a couple of certifications in nutrition and then was really combining that into my CrossFit coaching. And soon after that is when I started coaching people one-on-one, you know, starting slowly at the gym and then working my way up to working for someone else. And then this past year is when I totally broke out on my own with nutrition coaching, personal training. And the real thing that pushed me to my edge to go totally solo was that I felt like there was a big missing piece That was, we were forgetting with all of these rules and the science and the research of exercise and nutrition, we forget that we have this body. (laughs) We have this body that has its own intuition, its own wisdom that wants to be our internal compass. But Mm -hmm. it's really easy to tune that out if you're constantly looking for the perfect meal to fit your macros, the perfect quote unquote training plan because those things don't really exist. It's about combining, I believe, it's about combining the science of exercise and nutrition with the intuition from your body, what actually feels good to you, tuning into your hunger and fullness, that sort of thing. So that is how I kind of, super long story, still long, like changed my coaching business into more holistic health. And that's kind of why I call it that. Amazing. That's quite a story. And I want to jump back to the part where you decided to pack up your bags and set up your tent. So you mentioned that in hindsight, you don't know where you got the bravery from. What led you to that point? Obviously, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening now who want to make relatively dramatic changes to their lifestyles. But what actually led you to the point where you actually took action and made such a bold move? I think there were so many little things thrown in there. Like, I have you ever heard the saying, you know, the universe hits you with a feather and then they hit you with a brick and then they push you in front of a truck kind of to be like, Hey, change your life. Like (laughs) you're being led in this other direction. Why don't you see it? And I think that was happening for me, my senior year Mm -hmm. of college, 
because I got, I, I went to UW Madison, which is a pretty great school, big 10 university. And I graduated with like a 3.9. Like I was super into my studies and, you know, work hard, play hard, but I was rejected <laughs> by so many jobs that I was applying for my senior year, like definitely anxiety through the roof, that kind of thing. Sure. And I think that was like my first nudge to like, Hey, you're supposed to be doing something different because everything I did as a young adult was because I thought I should, because I thought that was what was expected of me. That's what, you know, my parents' life path was. That's what I was trying to live up to. And I wasn't, I had no like spiritual background or practices that like, connected me to my purpose or my path or anything like that at that time. So I was just like, nope, ego, take the wheel. (laughs) Like, this is what I think I should be doing. So this is what I'm going to do. But then, I mean, I only made it at that job, like 10 months, the, the corporate job I did get, it was a, it was a good job, but I was like, is this what I've been preparing for? Is this, you know, eight to five lifestyle and saving for retirement and all that? Is this real life? What? (laughs) I don't think I signed Uh. up for this, did I? (laughs) And so I think I just reached a breaking point where I was like, I had also uh, spent almost two months in New Zealand right after I graduated college before I started this job. And that just gave me a taste of, wow, there's a lot more out there. Like a lot of people I traveled with were from the UK and they were taking, you know, a gap year and things like that. And I was like, I didn't know people, you can do that. You can just like, do what you want because it sounds exciting and fun. Like, I didn't know you could do that. That's how I really felt. So then when I finally hit this breaking point, I was like, this is not the life that I want to live. Like, (laughs) so I had a friend who had been living in Colorado and he's the one who kind of was like, I, some of my buddies raft guide in the summer, you should look into it. And I had been rafting one time in New Zealand (laughs) and I was like, that was fun. I'm athletic. I bet I could do it. And that was literally like, all it took. And also I should say, like, I had a lot of things stacked in my favor. Like I'm a white woman from an affluent family. I, my grandma paid for a lot of my college plus scholarships. So I didn't have debt. So there were a lot of things also in my corner that I was like, you know what, I'm in this position. I'm just going to go for it. I like that. That's amazing. And I've never heard that analogy before, but I really like it. But like you said, if you don't take life subtle cues, it will somehow find a way to make you take them. You know, like for example, you see it with people's health and fitness all the time. It's like, you know, we're just knocking on the door. That blood test didn't look so good. You, you know, you're getting ill more often than not. Then all of a sudden, here's that disease. And then, you know, or here's that doctor who's going to tell you that you need to take action sooner or rather than later. And I don't know why we have to wait until that point until we take the the cue, maybe it's the lack of leaning into our intuition or even being able to hear it. Perhaps that's part of it. That always tends to be the way. And a part of your story that I want to touch on that you didn't actually mention is your experience with bikini and becoming an IFBB pro. So can you oh, tell yeah. us more about that? <laughs> I you just totally about that? Over that. I'm like, oh my gosh, how do I get from there to here? Yeah. So that was... I, I don't do CrossFit anymore. I like totally left out this part of the story. 2018... I, even though I had totally changed my nutrition by this point, uh, I had gotten pretty good at CrossFit. I was doing a lot of competitions at the local level. My body was not pumped. I was again, like (laughs) telling all of this, I'm like, I really have let my ego drive the, the bus for most of my life. But you know, CrossFit's so competitive. It is so ego driven. Like all I cared about was being at the top of the whiteboard with my score. So I definitely, pushed through some injuries 
until they got to the point where it was like, why am I still training like this? Like I'm in actual pain. I'm not like not sore pain. I'm in like actual pain almost every day. I'm pushing way too hard. And also I, I don't say this to throw shade at CrossFit at all, because I think it really depends on the coaches that you have and the environment at the gym I was at. It was a small town was all about going hard and doing more, not necessarily about, Hey, check your form. Hey, you should take the weight off until you feel super confident until, you know, you're activating the correct muscles. There wasn't a lot of that. So I got to the point in 2018 that I was like, I want to do something else. I I need to like really totally step away from CrossFit for a while. And my, I, I typically have my own nutrition and training coaches or business mentors or someone who's helping me in my corner. And my mentor at the time was like, why don't you go full in into bodybuilding? Like CrossFit isn't even about training for physique. I wanted to have more muscle. You know, I had dieted down at that point for like little photo shoots here and there. And I had gotten skinny. I felt like in my photos, I was like, I don't even look like an athlete. I look like skinny. Like, I don't like it. So I started, he, he kind of talked me into starting a quote unquote gaining phase and changing my training towards hypertrophy focus, like more bodybuilding. And I loved it. I loved it. I was like, had never eaten so much in my life. I was putting on weight, but in a very like healthy, slow way that of course there's some body fat usually when you put on muscle, but I was getting stronger in different ways. I was seeing different muscle definition based on my training. So then I decided like, of course I'm competitive. (laughs) I'm going to just take this as far as possible and do my first bikini show for a while. I really wanted to do figure, but then researching more like the figure division, those women have a lot of muscle and I'm, I'm like five, nine. I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to be like super duper jacked. So I decided on bikini and started my first prep for that. And it went really well. I won three of my classes out of four on my first show and then quickly back to back, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend just kind of kept my prep going instead of taking a big break and then competed for my pro card and I actually won my pro card, which was insane in Medellin, which we were talking about before we hit record in Colombia. So, so yeah, that really kind of changed my life. Cause then I was like, oh, this is something I could actually be good at. But again, there's a theme here. You guys, please learn from my, my mistakes. I didn't really want to take a very long break. I was so like high on competing. I only took like three months off and then started going for my first pro show in 2020. So I won my pro card right before COVID hit and then took a small break because, you know, everything kind of shut down. And then when things started to reopen, I had actually switched coaches at this point. And he was like, yeah, I think you can go for it. So then we did, which was really fun. And we can talk all about any questions you have about prep. I'd love to get into that because I, I was definitely judgmental before I started bodybuilding of like, Um, why would you go on stage in high heels and a thong bikini and tan? Like that's not fitness. (laughs) I actually had so much fun and it sure as heck is fitness. Like those women and men are working so hard to get to that level Mm -hmm. of leanness, to get the just right muscle definition. But, um, then end of 2020, after I did two pro shows, I, I had lost my period. I was again, super burnt out. Cause you have to get really lean, really, really lean. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm really happy with where my weight is now. And I was like 20 pounds lighter, if you can imagine. <laughs> so sure, it was really lean. And that's when I decided to take a full break. So the past like 
16-ish months, I've just been focused on eating, focused on my health and that sort of thing. Amazing. And will you compete again? That's a great question. I'm kind of shifting my focus. I think it might be baby time. I'm not sure. I'm like really scared to kind of commit to starting a family, but it has been on my mind. So, but I don't think that means I won't compete again. I just think I'm going to extend this kind of break and then maybe use it as a fun challenge later. Sure. That's super interesting. And what I find fascinating about that is usually people do it the other way around. They start with bodybuilding and then they end up in CrossFit. And funny enough, you said during your bodybuilding time, that was when you ate all the tons of food and everything along those lines. But it always seems to be the other way around when I hear it. It's like people start with bodybuilding, they get sick of, you know, having to diet down, get super lean, they get burnt out from the competing. And then they find CrossFit and they're like, oh, I can eat as much as I want. And this is all performance based. It's not based on how I look. So it's interesting to see that your journey is the other way around, right? That is very true. I think, um, was it Cara Webb? Someone really high in the CrossFit games. It might not be her. She Hmm. had that story of like, she did some bodybuilding. She was like, I didn't want to eat more and do CrossFit. I don't know if it was because like the gyms I always worked out at were so into paleo, which is like paleos because that was like, you know, but this was what, like 2015, 2016 in that era, CrossFit was much more still promoting like low carb, right? Like let's remember unless you were at the high level and you had a great coach, CrossFit was basically promoting low carb, high intensity workouts, which makes no sense at all. So that's, (laughs) that was the prescription I was following. So that was probably part of it. Cause if you go to a CrossFit gym now, I think they promote like much more high carb and much more focus on form and things like that. So maybe that was part of it. Just doing things backwards. (laughs) I mean, it comes back to the power of coaching. Right. And I think that's fundamentally what it comes down to. Had you been in a completely different environment where the emphasis was on fueling your body, technique and form, longevity, recovery, it could have been a completely different story. And I find that that tends to be the, you know, the way with most people is like these these sports, bodybuilding, CrossFit, they're inherently just neutral and it's the way we go about them. And it's interesting what you said in terms of like doing back to back shows. And I heard a coach say once, it's like some people love competing in bodybuilding and other people love bodybuilding. So they embrace their off season. They do the full cycles. But I think a lot of people who are into bodybuilding, they love only the competing part, but you can't just compete. Otherwise you're just going to end up with some serious problems, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I think exactly what you said about CrossFit, I could have also extended my competing season longer if I would have periodized better because don't get me wrong. Like in my bodybuilding off seasons, like I have eaten a lot too. You know, even when I took like a short three month break, I think I got my calories back up to like 23, 2400 because the goal is to put on as much muscle as possible and then get really lean again. But that cycle of yo-yoing can mess with your mind a lot. You know, don't even get me started on body image stuff that Uh I've been through with that because being shredded for men and women is pretty rewarded in our society. And I think that's also why people get kind of like addicted to the in-season, the doing the shows, because my engagement on my social media was much higher when I was super shredded and competing. It just, I can't, it kind of is what it is until our society as a whole makes a shift. So noticing that and being like, okay, I need to still put my health first. It is, it is hard, but everyone, you know, is going to have their own limits that they can push to and explore. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And if I'm completely honest, I don't think society is ever going to completely shift. I think we're always going to reward that. I, that might be, be that optimistic. might be skeptical. <laughs> and yeah, that might be a bit cynical, but I genuinely believe that we reward people being so meticulously focused on one single pursuit, and we kind of disregard everything else. Right? We look at someone like Tiger Woods, and you're like, he's the best golfer of all time. Forget all of this other, you know, crazy stuff that he's getting involved in. His sponsors might drop in, but we, we see see him on the course, and I think that's that's the harsh reality of it. And I like the idea of it, but I'm not sure what it looks like in practice. See. I, I kind of feel the opposite, to be honest. Maybe it's just because I want it so badly to be the opposite, but no, I feel please like, enlighten me. have you heard of kind of the Aquarian age? I no, mean, also there's that funny song of like the age of Aquarius, but I think it's, I'm going to get the dates wrong, but astrologically, <laughs> if we want to go there, I think we are as a collective society, like moving towards this new era where there is more emphasis on holistic health. There is, you know, it's less about you have to struggle, you have to work hard, which was kind of our parents' generation, right? Like you have to be in the same job that you get after college until you retire and die. <laughs> like that was that was the timeline. And that's why I think people were so millennials are terrible when we were like coming up in the workforce. But in reality, I believe there is kind of the shift towards, oh, you can try different things. You can, you can look at your health in a different way and incorporate, you know, the spirituality with the science and you can travel, right? Like you're traveling all over the place right now. You can explore, you can experiment. It seems like that it's becoming more, oh yeah, I actually want a little bit more of that. I want a little bit more of that freedom of that flow of finding my own peace or my joy in my journey versus the very strict rules of like, this is what's expected. This is what you should go do. I a hundred percent love your perspective on that. And I do agree that there is a massive collective shift in consciousness happening. Like you definitely can see it's more apparent. I think us having a conversation right now uh, about this type of stuff is proof that this is happening. However, I hate to say it, but I think we're the minority and I'm not sure if we will be big enough to the point in which we get to become the majority because what I see is there is this, you know, let's try to integrate a little bit more of less pressure and achievement at the same time. However, I almost see that it tends to almost become someone not then achieving anything at all. So I don't think we've quite found that in between yet. I think some people have nailed it and they're the beautiful examples to be looking at and hopefully you know, leading the way, but I'm apprehensive about whether we can do that on a entirely global level. What do you think? I I think that's fair, but it's, it's going to take time, right? It's going to take different leaders. Like you're talking about. Do we have enough time? That's the question. Our kids do. I don't know. (laughs) Our future children, do they? (laughs) But but you you hit on a good point because I definitely, I'm a big fan of, you know, manifestation practices and meditation and, but just to the point that you made, you can't just sit on your ass and meditate all day and ma- and be like, I'm manifesting a tick to a ticket to New Zealand and a vacation. You can't just sit there. You have to like, okay, that's part of it. If you want to kind of energetically align with what you want and express gratitude and all these practices, but you also need to get up and live your life in the direction that's going to take you to that vacation to New Zealand, right? So you're, you hit the nail on the head. 
Like it is a little bit of both. It's, it's how can I release some of this pressure and this control I want so badly and this work hard equals struggle equals success and find a little bit more flow in my journey. And maybe, maybe say like, I'm going to take a step towards being more challenged and challenging myself versus this should be hard. I should struggle and stay in this and just put my head down, you know, like big difference. hundred percent. And I want to dig into that in just a second and speak to you about your specific healing journey. But I want you to just touch on this for a second, because when you say, when you put science and spirituality in the same question, it almost sounds very paradoxical. How do you find that they align with each other? That's a great question. And I think it's almost like this giant myth that we're all fed that they are separate. It's like, I had someone ask me once, like, what's more important? Cause I talk a lot about like mind, body connection, mind, body, soul, however you want to say it. And someone once asked me, well, which is more important though? Like focusing on your, your mind and the logical or focusing on your body and intuition. And I was like, that's not a real question because they're not separate. You can't have one without the other, in my opinion and my experience, if you're going for like the ideal this is my life path. This is the path that I want to lead. I feel like I'm in this nice middle ground between, you know, some of these extremes that we've talked about, like the extreme of your ego or the extreme of your intuition. I want to find this nice middle ground gray area. You do kind of need both. Like I wouldn't be where I am without all of the science of nutrition and fitness that I have learned, but I didn't find like, you can obviously tell from my journey. I like being at either end of the spectrum and just being crazy but I didn't find this like piece that I've now created. Like I don't even track my food recently anymore. I work, I add a lot of intuition into my training these days. I've taken so much pressure off myself, but I wouldn't have found that without thinking about, okay, what about me as like a spiritual being, as an energetic being, as my connection with God or the universe or source energy or or however you want to say it. If I didn't bring a little bit of that together, I think you're kind of stuck in that all in or all out type of mentality. No, I agree. And do you think that we potentially take away some of our ability to have success in one specific area, such as competing by looking for this full integration? Because I almost think that anyone who has succeeded a great deal seems to be pretty dysfunctional in the way they got there. I don't see many people who are highly integrated who able to have you know, this unbelievable success in one given domain, they tend to get there and then they embrace the, let me be fully integrated. But that wasn't, it was almost a dark energy that got them to that place. And now they're like, okay, I've, I've realized there's more to life than just this. But do you think that that takes away? Because that's actually something I've always been apprehensive about. I'm like, I know this is bad. I know that I shouldn't be using this energy, but I know how, you know, how much it can fuel you. So I'm intrigued about your thoughts on that. Oh my gosh, you hit on so many good things there. So let's talk about like, quote unquote, successful people first, because you're totally right. A lot of the stories that we hear, which perpetuates this work hard, struggle equals success. Like that is the story of a lot of successful people. Like, oh man, I was, you know, I started off in poverty and then I was working 17 jobs and then I got here or whatever it was. But I would kind of argue that at some point they are integrating these practices, even if they don't consciously know it. Because I I believe that you have to be in such alignment with where you want to go. Like that's a huge key to manifestation, to achievement. 
So I think that even though a lot of successful people we see are like, I was struggling so hard, they also had periods of this deep, deep belief in themselves that like, I know I can achieve this. I know I'm going to come out the other side of this. And that belief was like a huge propellant in what got them there. Does that kind of resonate? Definitely. And I wonder if they just leaned into that and then worked on the the self-deprecating thoughts and all the, you know, the negative aspects of that and just leaned into that. Because when you do hear people speak about it, they talk about flow, but not in the sense of flow. They just say, you know, I was super focused. I was lost in the moment. And then you're like, oh, that's flow. And then they're like, well, you know, I had these dreams. I was able to see myself in that. And you're like, wait a minute, that was visualization. And then, you know, they almost touch on all of these things. And like you said, unconsciously, but it comes alongside with the, I'm not good enough. This needs to happen. And this needs to happen. So that's an interesting point because it's already within them, but it's just that they're tapping into the part that seems to be obviously the the demanding working, you know, right. dictator and, in their minds. Right. And a lot of those people, you know, they, they will say like, Oh, I went into all this crazy debt, but I just, I knew I could make it happen. Like that's kind of one of those struggles that you hear about a lot, but it's like, what is that? That is like incredible trust in yourself and whatever you want to manifest. So it's kind of like this, I feel like it's behind the scenes in a lot of people's stories. And then you also touched on, you know, what about when I feel myself like for, for me, it's usually kind of the, the going back to that overworking. I need to do more to achieve versus trying to sink into what's really going to make me feel good. That's a really interesting point because I actually did a podcast of my own on this topic of, are you addicted to stress? Because it's kind of, mm. it's, it's this weird feedback of kind of like adrenaline, even your hormone responses are giving you this boost. And then usually you get a little rewarded, right? Because you're like, oh, my to-do list is checked off. I knew it was going to be worth it to work those extra two hours today. You're like now I can sleep well. But yes. what I usually recommend to myself <laughs> and other people in this situation <laughs> is to look at, compare your actions to how you actually define your own success. Because for me, like the to-do list example I just mentioned, that still sucks me in a lot is... I don't want, like when I think about my own success, whether it's in my business or fitness or whatever, it doesn't, nothing in my definition has to do with specifically how much I get done. Like my definition of success has to be with, you know, how I feel. Am I enjoying each day? Am I present in each day? Am I able to not make whatever six figures or whatever it might be, but can I have organic produce and high quality proteins in my fridge? Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's the stuff that's actually important to me when I feel successful. It's not necessarily about this random dollar amount, this random body weight. How many tasks did I get done? That's not actually in alignment with what I believe is success for myself. So that's something that anyone can do is like, think about fitness, you know, as a great example, what actually does being fit and healthy look like to you? What does that actually mean to you? Not what did someone on Instagram say? their key to success and abs was, but like, what do you actually want out of your fitness and your wellness? Absolutely. And now I want to learn how you got to this place. Cause you're obviously a lot more conscious than many people out there, because I know that you've just mentioned like, you know, you need to define what success looks like in many domains of life. And even what you just said then, when it comes to not being a random dollar amount, but actually it's food in my fridge, it's, you know, X trips per year that I might want to be able to go on, which I think is amazing because of, 
it adds actual quality and more, probably more incentive, right? It's more incentivizing to go for, I specifically want to do this because I want my life to look this way versus I want $100,000 in the bank, right? So that's really interesting. But to get to a point in which you define this, you need to understand that it needs defining in the first place, which I don't think people might not even be there yet. So I actually want to go real far back. And I know that at this very start, you spoke about the in a child work as well. So what is your healing journey and your journey to where you are on more of a spiritual level? Um, what does that look like specifically? Let's go to like the real, po- like I want to yeah. get the tactile stuff that people can actually do. Yeah. Like we were talking about before with the feather and the brick, I think I had, I had so many nudges when I think back to my adolescence, even I remember my mom taking me to a meditation course when I was, I think I was in middle school or something. I was really mm-hmm. young And I went once and I was like, cool, whatever. Yeah. But I had so many nudges like that, but I was so again, set in like, that's cool and all, but this is the life path that I had in my head. So I'm going to actually go this way. So like I said, I had all these like little exposures to different yoga classes, meditation classes here or there, things like that. But I didn't really seize all this awesomeness in front of me that was right there uh, until bodybuilding, which is so funny, but I was, I have always been a huge fan. uh, I've always been a huge fan of the insight timer app. I actually have a couple of meditations of my own on there now. And you and I have a mutual friend. Yeah. I started recording some because I'm like, you know what? Screw it. Like I take all my one-on-one clients through meditations when we have calls, just like winging it. And they would always be like, Oh, can you record this for me? It's like, I'm, I'm going to create an insight timer account. But, I love that. I'm going to do your meditation yes, tonight. <laughs> yeah. And you and I have a mutual friend, David Gandelman, who has been on both of our podcasts. I kind of credit him to me discovering manifestation because I was working through this contest prep. I was struggling. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like getting calories that low and doing that much cardio is like, it's, uh, it's pretty tough <laughs> mentally and physically. And I was like, you know what? I need to do some type of like 30 day course that's going to really help my mindset focus on this goal of my first show. And David has this great course on Insight Timer called The Energetics of Success and Manifestation. And I had heard of manifestation, you know, this was again, like 2018, 2019, which now I feel like everyone talks about it. But that was my first kind of real like taste of going through a process. And I think that played a huge role in my success in bodybuilding, honestly because I was always doing visualizations. I, by the time show days came, I did not have doubt in myself. Like I was really tuned in. So that's kind of where the mindset work started for me. And then I started modifying my morning practices accordingly to like what was going to really support that. Definitely became a huge fan of visualization. And around this same time was also when I started working a little bit with plant medicine. So this is another question I get a lot of like this or this. Was it plant medicine that you feel like brought you some of these realizations or was it your meditation? I'm like, I don't, they're both tools. They're both tools in the toolbox. Yeah. So I think the combination has helped me a lot, but obviously that's not for everyone. But I did a lot of inner work through my work with plant medicine because it really forces you to dissolve the ego, at least for a little while and look inwards at the pain as well as a lot of the joy. So both of those, you know, meditation, all the manifestation practices I do, plus my work with plant medicine, I think those were like the biggest tools for me. Amazing. And do you do your meditations on a day-to-day basis? You do your visualization? How, what's the frequency of these practices look like, including the plant medicine as well? Yeah. 
So I, again, try, have come a long way and that I don't like to give myself strict rules anymore. So I used to be like, this is my morning routine (laughs) and this is how it has to be. And five minutes here and 10 minutes there. Now I like to, I do usually try to take, I call them mellow moments. I try to take some period of stillness (laughs) in my day, but it doesn't have to be meditation. I could be like, taking a break from work and I'm going to go make a cup of tea and I'm going to watch the squirrels run around in my backyard. And that to me is its own meditation. For sure. Some mornings I do wake up and I try to sit in silence for 15 minutes or I journal. Some days I'll just like light candles and be like, "Mm, this smells good. Like a little mini aromatherapy session. (laughs) So, (laughs) So just little things like that. But I do do something every day. I think that's like the one non-negotiable I think it's the only one (laughs) that I have for my (laughs) clients is you have to take some stillness or quiet time or meditation or a mellow moment every day, because that's really the tool that I believe lets you come back to your intuition. It allows your mind to let go. Cause if your mind is quiet or focused on something that doesn't require a lot of energy, that's when, if your mind is quiet, you don't have self-doubt. If your mind is quiet, you're not stressed about something in the past or in the future. So you're able to really tune in to the present moment to maybe you ask yourself, like, what does my body need today? Um, just little things like that can allow you to come back to right now. Yeah. I, I really like that. And, um, my first, one of my first insights into this type of stuff was Eckhart Tolle's power of now. And that was one of the biggest takeaways from that book is that the present moment, like right here where we're now having this conversation, there's nothing painful about this. There's nothing, there's no insecurity. There's no, there's no nothing. It's just a neutral situation. And it's just, it just is right. And that was one of the biggest concepts. So once I was able to actually actualize that and understand what that truly was, it was super powerful because if you can always come back here and it's always the least painful place to be. And yeah, like you said, if you've got a non-negotiable, which says that you need to find a time to come back here at least once a day, then you know, you'll know you cultivate that and it becomes a bit of a habit as well. But that's interesting. I just want to take a quick side route down to uh, what's your perspective on hard and fast rules? You just said it's the only non-negotiable you have. So talk to me about hard and fast rules. Because if I'm honest, I lean into those a lot with myself. Do I think that they're always the best thing? Maybe not. But I'm intrigued to get your thought process because I find them to be quite helpful. I think, again, they're they can be very useful at the right times. So, you know, some people listening to this podcast, they might really struggle getting to the gym or something. If that's the case, I would probably recommend you set a goal for yourself each week of I am at least 95% confident I can do two workouts. Okay, start there. You know, that's that's where I think those those kind of rules and like specific goals for yourself are really helpful. For, for me personally, I, I spent the last seven, well, I guess six years, cause not the last year really living by hard and fast rules in my fitness and nutrition. And it's tough because I like them because it brought me a lot of success. Like to be totally honest, my control, my ambition, my competitiveness, my desire to be totally all in 110% of the time, it brought me a lot of success, but it didn't bring me balance or happiness or acceptance with my body, which is a big thing. Cause I, I also definitely glazed over like disordered eating sprinkled into my past. So for where I'm at now in my journey, I think the practice that serves me most 
is releasing some of those rules and coming back to like, like that question I shared, a question that I ask myself almost every day is doing a couple deep breaths, picturing my energy kind of in my heart center or in my gut and asking, what does my body need today? Like what's really going to serve my body today? Because I spent so long trying to get my body to do what I wanted versus kind of having some respect (laughs) and a little bit more appreciation. You know, people roll their eyes at self-love, but I think a better way to think of it is just like appreciating everything that your body does for you every day, no matter where you're at, even if you're not at your fitness goals yet, your body's still carrying you around every day. (laughs) So, you know, like with my own podcast is called Macros, Muscle and Manifestation because I like to bring them all together. So like, for example, I do have almost all of my clients work with macros at some point. And so that would be considered kind of like a rule. But then usually by the time I'm finished working with someone, we transition to more intuitive eating because they want to have like a break from the tracking. So long answer to your question, but I think they can be, rules can be super, super helpful and can really help you reach a goal. But if you can incorporate a little bit of that intuition sprinkled in, I think that's kind of where you find that that happy medium. Yeah, I, I love that answer. And I, I very much align with it as well, because I don't believe that either end of the spectrum can actually work. If you're all kind of leaning into who you are and, you know, just going with what your body needs, it depends on your goals, really, realistically, right? You were born with intuition, but your conditioning as a child probably changed that and all your lived experiences that you had as a teenager, as an adult. So if you have no experience of leaning into your intuition as an adult, you're probably not very good at it. So you probably need some hard and fast rules. However, if you only live by hard and fast rules, like you said, you're going to get some potential success in certain domains, but you're probably not going to get balance. You're not going to get happiness. You're not going to have a more balanced and well-rounded life. So yeah, I think the integration of the two is really important. Also understanding where you lie on that spectrum. I think both of us can align with the overachiever (laughs) mentality. So that's where you need to lean into a little bit more of this. But if you're actually someone who's, more of a procrastinator, you know, the potential person who likes to hide themselves and likes to shy away from the success and all these type of things. And you might need to lean into just setting yourself a few more rules. So I think that's a, no, a really, really good answer. And because we've not really fully defined it, how do you personally define manifestation? Because there will be a, you know, an Oxford dictionary definition, but I'm sure we've all got our different takes on it. Yeah. So I think, you know, a standard definition that I usually use is turning your thoughts or ideas into tangible things in your life. Because I really do think it it is a very wide definition, obviously, (laughs) but that's because it can, things manifest in our life in so many different ways. You know, like if you've ever been, a good example is like, if you've called in sick to work when you really wanted just like a free mental health day, and then maybe you're kind of fixated on it and you're fixated on like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And that was kind of bad. And I, I'm not even sick. And now I'm worried about getting sick. You usually like start having a little bit of a cold. It's just kind of like, that's a really funny, small example, but you can make it as big as small or small as you want, because we're all constantly manifesting. It's just a lot of us manifest subconsciously, right? Because we're in our subconscious mind actually way more than our conscious mind. I think it's something like up to up to 90% of the time, your subconscious mind is actually at the wheel, which is thanks to evolution because we want to be able to respond quickly to things uh, without thinking about them consciously. But this is where I think it's it's really helpful to have some type of quiet practice, some type of connection practice, because if you're unaware 
of your thoughts, your feelings, how you respond to certain situations. You're also unaware of like what you're actually calling into your life. Whereas I believe like being consciously aware of manifestation, you can kind of like flip a switch on basically and be like, oh, wow. Like I am consistently stuck in this binge and restrict cycle. I feel I can actually, if I'm really aware and tuned in, I can feel it coming on. And even if I still, let's say overeat, I can now notice like the emotions that are present, the thoughts that are swirling in my head that are driving me to make these decisions with food. And if you start building in that awareness, that's how you really can change like your beliefs about your body, about food, about fitness. And you can start creating or manifesting what you want your health and wellness to look like. But it really starts with like, I think at the root of manifestation is awareness, basically. Yeah. And how do we become more aware so we can start that process? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the practices we kind of talked about, right? I think a lot of it comes down to slowing down a little bit. A lot of us are this go, go, go. So that's where taking, doing some type of morning routine or taking some type of quietness throughout the day. That I think is the best place to start because you can just notice, like, say like, this happens to me all the time. Like I'm so not a pro meditator or manifester. I just do my best every day, but all the time, you know, I'll sit down and meditate and my brain is just like crazy. And I'm like worried about this course launch I have coming up or whatever it may be. And I can't stop thinking about it. Sometimes I'll just simply be like, wow, okay. My mind is really busy today. And you don't have to like try to do anything, but just noticing, like even just creating that awareness of like, wow, I have all these thoughts and a lot of stress about this situation. Like that is a great first step or like coming back to the overeating example. I am so stressed out and like sad or upset or frustrated or whatever it may be. I really feel like I want to just like eat a whole box of Oreos right now. It's okay if you eat that whole box of Oreos. It's you're going to live. It's going to be okay. But Now you have that awareness of like what was coming on and what might be behind that. And that's really, really powerful. So obviously then like if I think that's kind of step one, right? Is just starting to notice like where are your thoughts going when you feel like shitty, basically when you feel shitty, (laughs) that's a good opportunity to slow down and ask yourself what's actually going on here. And then step two would start to be like, maybe it's some releasing practices, Maybe it's, you know, I work with a lot of women on their relationship with food. So maybe it's coming back to if you're having a really frustrated day with your body, pick three things that your body is doing really well for you today or that you can be grateful for today. So it's kind of that process of, okay, I have this awareness of what's going on. It's definitely not serving me. How can I choose again? How can I choose something new? And this isn't like snapping your fingers. This is, A lot of us have had these beliefs. I mentioned inner child work because that's something that I'm really into as well, because a lot of us develop these subconscious beliefs that determine what we think is good or bad by the time we're seven. So now, you know, like I'm like just about to turn 30. I'm like, so I don't expect myself to snap my fingers and have one of these beliefs totally changed, but it's a practice. It's just like anything else. You don't do one workout and you're super jacked. You have to keep going. So, so, but that's kind of where I would start as far as like a step one and starting step two. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. And can we define goals around this as well? Can we, because I think a lot of people find it hard to see tangible progress in a fitness journey where the tangible changes are very physical and 
there can be a lot of impatience around that, even though it's actually quite apparent. Whereas the inner work can sometimes be a little bit more subtle. So how can we either define goals around this? Because I don't know, that almost sounds like it takes away you know, the purpose of it, but also acknowledge our progress in this specific pursuit. Yeah. And so that's where coming back to like, how are you setting your goals, I think is really important. So probably by the time this is out, I just did an intuitive goal setting series in December, which this was the whole idea of like, let's not, you know, a lot of us get frustrated with our goals because they're based on like what we've been talking about, like external validation or, or something outside of us or someone else's definition of success that isn't really aligned with what we want and our values. Because really, if, if we're not doing stuff aligned with our values and with someone else's values, you're, you're not going to be happy because you're like, oh, wait, I don't actually care about that, <laughs> you know, at some point. So, so as far as how do you kind of measure a goal based on this inner work, I think that really comes back to how are you setting your goals? So like if you have a fitness goal, I, I highly encourage, you know, my clients to really dig into the why, which a lot of people talk about. But I, I recommend, you know, ask yourself why like five to 10 times, really try to peel back the layers there. The more you can align that goal with what you picture for yourself in your life, with what you, again, what your definition of success of health is, it's just going to be way easier for you to then measure progress. Because if we just set like a body weight goal, what are you going to do? Just totally obsess about the scale and that's it. Versus if you set a goal kind of based on what you really define as health and wellness for yourself, you can look at so much progress. You can start to notice, of course, how your clothes fit, but also like how, how is your digestion improving as you make these choices? How is your energy level every day? How are you starting to see your body now that your goal is based on, you know, your real value with health and wellness? You're, you're probably going to start changing also how you see yourself when you look in the mirror because you're really choosing to nourish yourself from a place of like deep care for your body instead of I have to lose 10 pounds. So it's, it's important to celebrate all of those wins, which I know a lot of coaches kind of say that too. And one practice I like, that's kind of like gratitude practice is at night before bed, just giving myself props for like one to three things that went well that day, whatever it is, it could be a to-do list thing. It could be, Oh, Hey, I looked at myself in the mirror today. And I kind of just like smiled at myself versus saying like, Oh my God, whatever, (laughs) you know, some, some type of negative. So even just doing once a day, those little celebrations for yourself can be really helpful and help you notice things are shifting. Things are shifting towards my definition of success because I have all these celebrations every day. And again, this is where it kind of links to manifestation. The more that you stay in that energy of gratitude, of satisfaction, of enjoyment, with what you're doing, right? Taking care of your body should be enjoyable because you only have this one life. The more that you're in that energy of those emotions, you're automatically connected with your end goal because your end goal is probably in those same emotions as well, right? Just like I've heard a lot of people say, you can't hate your way to healthy. That's another way of saying that. So it kind of really all does come together. Absolutely. Wow, that's pretty impressive. And I think that you're right in terms of the way that we're setting goals. And that's probably... A fundamental challenge that we're all experiencing is that we're not setting goals in the right way or for the right reasons, right? And I actually find that, you know, what you said with the why exercise, it's like, okay, first layer, that's society's reason why I want to be in shape. Second is my friends and family's reason why I want to. Third is, you know, that, you know, what I was made fun of in schools thing. And then it's, okay, what my doctor said. And then, like you said, you keep peeling them back and peeling them back. 
And then you find actually what you truly want. And I think that sometimes, especially parents I work with, they almost want to say, yeah, I want to do this for their kids. And as much as they probably do, there's actually you know, they were a person before their kids. So they're actually really wanting to do it for themselves. You know, they don't like the way they look, but they think, you know, almost sounds virtuous and altruistic and selfless to say their kids, but they don't connect with that as much. So I think it's really important to define, okay, what do I truly want? And yes, we can have little layers of this, but we need to dig back to what it's really at. And I think that's a great, a great perspective to have. So before we do move on, I want to touch on your plant medicine experience. I don't think we can just touch on that without uh, going, um, you know, going too far away from it. So talk to me about some of the biggest insights you've gained from that. Uh, what led you to that in the first place? I think it's a big move to make, um, especially in a world where, you know, it's definitely been researched. It's definitely been something that's done for a while, but it's still very taboo. Yep. Yeah, definitely taboo, unfortunately, but I do think that's changing. Like the research that's coming out, if you're curious on this topic, Michael Pollan has a lot of good books. This is your mind on plants is one he came out with recently. And it's very, very good. He has a whole chapter on caffeine, which is just like mind blowing. But my experience started. So like any angsty teenager, you know, I was recreationally experimenting with drugs as a teen. Like, I don't know. I never really like got into them or whatever you want to say. But those were kind of my first experiences. Like I didn't get anything out of it. I was just like, okay, cool. Like teens will be teens. I don't know. But I think that was an important like first touch, if you will. And then as I got into my twenties, that's when I started hearing more people like talk about, oh, like microdosing, you know, and psilocybin mushrooms were one of the drugs I had experimented before, or I should say plant medicine. I know drugs is really offensive to some people actually in this space. So, so I, I know everyone's got to have their thing, but as I got older, I was interested in that because I had had fun, if you will, experiences with psilocybin in the past. And I was like, okay, now I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm a little bit more of an adult now. Can I actually use this to my advantage? Because Like I have mentioned, you know, I've always been a type A kind of high strung person. One of the benefits that a lot of people talk about with microdosing is being able to kind of tone that down a little bit to come into the present more. So I was like, well, maybe this can be kind of a tool that I can use along with this spiritual work that I'm getting into. So I started with just basically microdosing. So taking, I consider microdosing as taking such a small amount that you don't feel any psychoactive components like you're you're not tripping. <laughs> so I kind of started with that and then, you know, if I would go for a hike or something or if I was spending a lot of time in nature, I would maybe take a little bit more. And so I was really just dipping my toes and one of the benefits I have experienced is like a much deeper connection with nature, which I was not expecting and also the slowing down, like I have noticed some of those benefits. And so then for my birthday last year, I my gift to myself was doing a bigger psilocybin journey. So taking a much larger dose with a guide who I you know met beforehand. I did like two months of preparation work as far as intention setting, getting really clear on you know why why I wanted to do this, why I wanted to dig into my psyche more or less. And so I did that on my last birthday, and that everything changed for me after that. Because it was, it was about like six hours of me lying down with a blindfold on going totally inwards. So a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I love using mushrooms. I I eat a handful and go to the pool. And I'm like, okay, that sure do to each their own. You do that. But I'm like, I think what I did was a little bit different (laughs) because I was really 
I mean, my intention was to, to heal some things that were still, I felt like holding me back. I do have on my podcast, a whole episode kind of about that experience. But one thing that I think really applies to people in fitness is I was able to see kind of my eating disorder personified, if you will, from like a bird's eye view. And it was scary because it was not a pretty picture as you can imagine. So that, that visual like will be with me forever, but I kind of accredit me. Like I haven't had any type of disordered eating since that experience. And I have since researched this a little bit because I'm like, is this, that wasn't really my intention. Wasn't like, I need to heal my eating disorder, but I have since researched that. And there are some people who are now doing studies with psychedelics and eating disorder recovery. Um, but that was like one huge, clear benefit for me that I was really able to see that part of me from a different view and see how it was hurting me. So there were moments like that where it was, there were very low lows and very high highs. Maybe I should say it was kind of like a roller coaster of tears of sadness and like, oh my gosh, to tears of joy. And there were a lot of happy things I saw too. So since then I kind of got back into a microdosing routine, which there are a lot of different kind of strategies that people recommend out there. But I do like to continue holding a relationship, I guess, if you will, with this plant medicine. That's really why I do it now more than anything else, because I, people talk about the mycelium network too, as being this network that's connected to all life. So I do feel like that helps me stay connected from that regard. And then do, do, do you want to keep going on this train? Are we going? <laughs> hundred percent. Before okay. we do, I just want to ask a quick question. Do you think you could have got there with solely the manifestation work, the meditation, and potentially some form of therapy as well? I think so. I think I have also done a lot of hypnotherapy work since then. And I, I hadn't discovered that method prior, but I do think that at least for me, hypnotherapy specifically probably could have gotten me there. But I don't know if just like meditating by myself, who knows, maybe, maybe if I became like, if I was really, really good at quieting my mind and connecting with my body in that way, I think that's possible for sure. And I definitely would say plant medicine is not for everybody. I know I've told kind of my parents these stories and they're like, I'm way too scared. I would not do that. I don't know what's in my head. And I'm like, it's so funny you say that though, because it's in your head regardless. <laughs> you're True. either like, yeah. you're either doing whatever practice that speaks to you. You're either doing that practice to look at it and deal with it, or you're living with it either way. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. And I think, you know, the, it's like a handle. It's like the ripping off the plaster mentality, right? It's like it either lives there and it just bothers you on a day-to-day -day basis. You don't realize the pain because it's come become so normal, but facing it, dealing with that harsh but short-term pain to then overcome that is going to pay off in the long term. So I think, yeah, you're completely right. And I think in the end, you're just facing a lot of... It's almost like the health and fitness journey. It's like people will deal with this unoptimal health, these dull aches in their lower back and so the bloating they experience on a day-to-day -day basis. And like, oh, you know, it's enough. To, it's okay to handle it because they don't want to dive in to take themselves on a health and fitness journey, which would actually resolve all their problems but it requires going on a nutritional protocol, doing all the exercise and everything along those lines. So I think that, yeah, that's kind of a good way to yeah, compare the two. So yeah, let's, let's, let's dive deeper. What's the next steps for you and your plant medicine journey? Yeah. So actually about like nine months after that, 
I had the experience to work with someone in toad medicine, which is a lot of people call BUFO, if anyone's familiar, or 5-MeO-DMT. So it is a form of DMT, which DMT is also the active, the psychoactive component of ayahuasca, which I think even more people have heard from. So like trickle down how these are all related. And that journey was totally, totally different. It's so funny too, because there was definitely like a fitness component to both, or maybe I should say like health and wellness component to both. And that was never really part of my intention. So I don't know if that just shows me that that's a big area that I still have healing to do, which is kind of my takeaway. But also, yeah, just, just like an interesting tidbit that I've realized in hindsight, but the tone medicine ceremony was shorter. It's like really quick kind of out into the universe and then like back into 3d reality within 20 minutes or so. But a really powerful takeaway I received there was like intense ownership of my emotions. Like I had this kind of visual of pure joy and not like, oh yeah, I felt happy. Like pure joy, like gold shining, magical embodiment of joy. It was crazy. Sounds Um, amazing. (laughs) But there was before that, there was a lot of struggle. There was this like push, pull, push, pull, push, pull, like Caroline, why can't you just let yourself feel joy? Just let yourself feel joy. This like yelling at me kind of until I finally let go and let myself feel joy. And so my kind of takeaway from that is the control piece, which for me, that has a lot to do with my nutrition and fitness. This a lot of like squeezing, right? We do a lot of this, like even I'll, I'll hear this from clients a lot. They'll have great progress. And then they're like, but what if, but what if I lose it all? And I'm like, you, you can't lose it all. You know, you have all these tools, you have everything you need now, but we have this desire to, to grasp and to squeeze and to control things when we're afraid that they might disappear. And so what I have been working on a lot in just my own practices are releasing my grip on whatever it is that I'm grabbing. Because if you think about it, like if, if you're holding two stones in your hand and you're grabbing them both very tightly and the universe is trying to deliver you something better, right? Like there's this other door that is actually the best one you could ever walk through. How can you receive anything if both of your hands are gripping so tightly to these two stones that signify, you know, whatever it is in your life. So that's how I try to think of it now. But that whole process of kind of releasing is, is its own journey, I believe. But that was, that was a really powerful takeaway from me of just like, how can I, how can I be more open that there are potentially better opportunities ahead of me versus saying, you know, again, coming back to my past, like it must be this way. I still get into that mentality sometimes. Like I still set goals for myself and I'm like, but I really want it to be this way. But what if you just kind of rotate, you know, five degrees to the right and there's this other opportunity that's going to bring you even more success, you know? So that practice of kind of being open and also remembering that, we all do get to choose our emotions. That's one of the few things you have total power and control over, even though it doesn't feel like it sometimes. I think that's a really great reminder for everyone. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. And that brings us, that brings me on to the next topic I want to discuss with you. And you mentioned openness, you mentioned letting go, you've mentioned leaning into your intuition. And you've also touched on a lot throughout this episode where you've spent a lot of time in your what would be perceived as your masculine energy, right? Your type A, you're doing, you're achieving and all of that type of stuff. And in a world that we live in right now where gender neutrality is taking the reins and everyone wants to push to the side that feminine and masculine even exist, 
I love the fact that you leaned into the fact that you said, Hey, I was living in my masculine before, and now I want to embrace my feminine in nature. Um, what led you to that? What really makes you okay with the idea that a feminine and masculine nature even exists in a world where it's not so difficult? And what does that look like? What does that journey look like for you? Great question, because you're so right. We're very much going back to like that shift we kind of talked about. This is a part of that, that I feel like I'm starting to see is people don't want to live just in their masculine energy. They want to invite more of that creativeness, that fluidity, that trust. And and just to clarify too, when we're talking about these energies, it has nothing to do with gender, right? Like I, I am a female, I identify as female, but I have lived most of my life in my masculine energy. So people, everyone is a mix of both, no matter what your gender is, but usually we express more than the other. And that's where you kind of feel these imbalances within yourself. Or a good way to think of it is if something feels like really, really hard, there's probably you're a little bit in one or the other, probably you're masculine for a lot of us. (laughs) So as far as you ask, like how, how did I kind of notice that or dip into that? I noticed it feels really good (laughs) when I invite more of my feminine in. Like, to be totally honest, it feels good. It feels easier. Like, achieving is fun. Competing in things is fun. But man, does it feel good to, like, take a big sigh and let your shoulders release a little bit. You know, it just feels good. And that's kind of what signified to me, okay, I need to invite more of this being versus doing energy into my life. So that was just kind of, I guess, how I naturally maybe picked up on it. And since then have made it a a focus of mine to really, again, start with that awareness. Okay, where am I? Where do I feel like I'm totally in 110% doing mode? Because doing is very masculine, being is more feminine. And I really try to notice that now and be like, okay, wow, I'm exerting so much effort. I am like a good indicator for me is at the end of a day, If I'm just totally wiped out, like, wow, I was kind of, I was maybe forcing it today. I was maybe exerting a lot of effort. I wonder if there were more times where I could throw in a creative activity. For example, that's a tool that I really like. And a lot of people, we don't release our creativity that much unless we're totally in the arts, but even just doing something random, like Mm -hmm. knitting, drawing, reading a poem, writing in your journal and not having a journal. Or in your case, dancing. Yes. Dancing. That's another tool that... (laughs) Oh my gosh, that has opened my eyes to so much because I really got into pole dance when I decided to take this big break from bodybuilding and just focus on health. I was really nervous about how I was going to see my body change and go from being totally super shredded, like basically eight pack (laughs) to being a natural, healthy cycling female, which was important to me. And that's really why I started pole dance because I wanted that like body positivity. I wanted to feel like sexy despite my body becoming less lean and totally fell in love with it. I'm having so much fun. It is way more of a strength challenge than I thought. You know, I'll, I'll deadlift and back squat with someone all day, but, uh, holding yourself upside down on a pole and using that shoulder stabilization and those tiny muscles and your core in a totally different way is surprisingly very, very difficult. (laughs) They make it look easy. It looks difficult. Well, no, Does I it? think it looks I probably make it difficult. look difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, it's, that's been really fun. And 
a good mix of like, you know, some of the classes I go to are very like sexual and sensual. Some other classes I go to are very strength and skill oriented. So it's been fun for me to also experiment with that. And I feel like that has done a lot for me in bringing out my feminine energy. Like dance, dance is a great tool and it doesn't have to be a dance class. It can be, you know, if someone else is listening, then they feel really stuck in their masculine, put on, put on whatever song you like to move to and just kind of let your body flow. Like that is a great way. You're literally moving energy throughout your body when you're moving like that. And usually kind of expressing in a, in a more feminine matter because it's pretty creative too. So that's, oh, dance has like totally changed my life this past year. And it's so funny because I was definitely never a dancer. I don't think I still am, but I'm getting there. <laughs> Absolutely. And I feel like I know the answer to this question already, but I'm intrigued to actually know the insights. You mentioned that it feels good and that's one of the main benefits. How has it benefited your relationship with your partner? That, oh my gosh, <laughs> put me on the spot here. <laughs> that is something I'm definitely still working on because I have noticed that. My husband is very he was like an enlightened five-year-old. Like the stories he tells me about his childhood and being like, (laughs) oh, well, I saw someone be really stressed out and angry. And so from that moment on, I decided I'm not going to get like that. I'm like, you were five. Are you kidding me? Like he has this, these are his legit childhood stories. It's crazy. So he- That's a hell of an insight of five. (laughs) I know. I mean, it might not have been five. It might've been like eight, but it was like real young, (laughs) bottom line. Still. So I, I feel like- if you want to get really out there, like I feel like his soul is more evolved than my soul. If you believe in like reincarnation and all of that stuff. And so he is naturally more in his feminine energy, honestly, and I'm more in my masculine. So I notice that when I, it kind of makes it harder, unfortunately, because you energetically, we want that balance. So if I'm in my masculine, he's going to stay in his more feminine right? But I don't really like that. (laughs) If you want to get sexual with it, like I'd rather be in the bedroom in my feminine receiving energy and have him in his masculine energy. And it definitely takes like practice though. Like I, especially at the end of the day, when we're actually like hanging out together, I really have to try and focus like, okay, how can I, how can I really let go of my doing my CEO mode, my boss mode? How can I leave that? with my laptop in my office and come into this other energy to now like be a partner for the rest of the day. And when I can do that, which, oh my gosh, I'm very much a work in progress right in this. But the more that I do that, he does come into his masculine a little bit more. So I think this is very much applicable to relationships. And it's like I said, it's definitely something, oh my gosh, if anyone has a great like relationship expert on energies, send them my way. Cause I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. I think that'd be an amazing conversation to bring on an expert who understands that. I think that'd be really good to ask them questions. So I'm going to start hunting. So if you find one, let me know. Yes. We'll both do podcasts. Yes. And we can do a round table. Understand more on that. <laughs> yes, we should. We should get some couples in the room yeah, as well. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> not me. I do not volunteer. <laughs> No, but I think it's fascinating. I I had a feeling that there would either be and a good alignment in terms of, you know, your husband was already leaning into his masculine and then it, you know, it was something that was just, it, it almost connected very nicely, or it was going to be the opposite where, like you said, he was already in his feminine. Because what I find is that most of us, and I can, I've had this experience myself as well, go to the one that either feels easiest 
or where we can find our way in. So let's say you start a relationship, you're already in the high achiever, you're making more money than potentially your husband or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, the, the genders are irrelevant. The other person is going to be like, oh, okay, well, they've got that side of it covered. I'm going to just slip in here because of this is where I'm going to be a little bit more useful. But actually what you might realize later on is that actually I want, I don't want to be this achieving. I don't want to be the one working all day, bringing in the money or, you know, having to lean into my masculine energy. It doesn't matter what those practices look like, but yeah. And then you have that realization where you truly want, and that actually requires an energetic shift to take place. Otherwise you'll probably just lean into which ones you fit in both. But eventually I find again, in my experience, People, you start resenting your roles, even though you chose them because of you saw them, but they were primarily based on convenience and not leaning into what you truly wanted, right? Yep. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's, I think you kind of touched on too, like the shifts that can happen. It's natural for you as an individual to shift your own energy as you go, kind of like what I was first talking about. But then in relationships, I think that's really important to note too, because you just made me think back on, you know, my partner and I, we met raft guiding. Like I said, he was my boss. <laughs> and so he was it's funny <laughs> because when we met and I was like, they call it you a rookie when you're new. So I was a rookie. He was very, very experienced raft guide. So our roles were opposite then, which I don't know if I've ever really called yes. that out, but like, yeah, six years ago, we were in opposite roles and, but isn't that marriage, right? You just got to like evolve with each other, I guess. I don't know. I'm figuring it out as we go. <laughs> wow. I was just about to say props to you both for working on it. You know, it could lead other people in separate directions or, you know, it could lead people into a place where one is not open to the other's changes. And this, this does happen, right? You see people going through their personal evolution, their partner's not ready to do that themselves and there's resentment taking place. So I think, yeah, props to you both for leaning into that. So I want to wrap up some respect for your time, but um, I would definitely have to get onto a round two because I feel like there's so much more that we could uh, touch on. But where is the best place for people to find you if they want to dive deeper into your world and get to know you more? Yeah, and thank you so much. This was really fun. So I'm totally open to a round two or a round table if we find some fun expert. I think that would be a good time. Yes. Um, <laughs> so as far as podcasts go, I like I mentioned, I do have my own podcast called Macros, Muscle and Manifestation. It is about all those things coming together. Pretty easy. Uh, as far as social media and connecting with me, I'm most active on Instagram, which is just at Caroline Ofenstein, my name, which I'm sure you'll link below because it's hard to spell. <laughs> and feel free to always shoot me a DM or anything. You know, I have, depending on when this comes out, I should have a couple of new offerings ready. I always try to do some fun freebies throughout the year too, free workshops and things like that. So please don't hesitate to reach out if you have questions. I'm all about making taboo less taboo. So I'm, I'm an open book. You can ask me anything. <laughs> Absolutely. All of those details will be in the show notes as well, if you're interested in that. And final question to you today, Caroline, is what impact do you want to have on the health and wellness industry? So many things come to mind. Oh my gosh. But if, if I could leave, you know, one, one piece of advice, if I believe if people started thanking their bodies every day, so I end a lot of my posts like that, you know, have you thanked your body today? If any, everyone had a little bit more appreciation and compassion for exactly where they are right now, and again, that comes with awareness, with coming back to the present moment, I think everyone could see their success actually skyrocket. It's almost counterintuitive, but it comes back, if anyone's heard that quote, acceptance precedes change. I firmly believe in that. So coming back to your body, 
where you are right now, practicing a little bit more acceptance, compassion, gratitude for your body. I think that is only going to propel you so much further on your wellness journey. Amazing. I guess a beautiful closing message, but thank you so much for this conversation today. It's been enlightening. It's been insightful. It's been fascinating. And I'm looking forward to this round table in the future. Yes, thank you for having me. Bye guys. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.